We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It's Thursday, December 16th, 2021. I'm Guy Benson. Glad to have you on board every weekday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And available around the clock on demand, GuyBensonShow.com. The podcast is a popular feature among many. GuyBensonShow.com. If you don't know me, I'm Guy Guy Benson, as you might have guessed. Uh, I host the show, which is named The Guy Benson Show. I'm also political editor at townhall.com and a Fox News contributor. Here's who we've got on tap today, guest-wise, Brett Baer, our Fox News colleague, anchor of Special Report, chief political anchor here at Fox. He will join us in studio later this hour. Dr. Marty McCarry will be here also in studio in the next hour. I have a few questions to ask him about our opening subject, Omicron and COVID here. We'll get to that momentarily. We'll bring in the doctor in the next hour for some expertise. Our friend Kennedy will be here in the next hour as well. A lot to get to with her, including a few whispers, a few rumors that Hillary Rodham Clinton might be thinking about running for president again. Kennedy has many thoughts on HRC, and I'm sure she'll have some thoughts on this one as well, this story. And then Larry Kudlow, in our final hour, we're doing a fun little switch, a little swap today. I'll be on his TV show. He'll be here on the radio. So that's fun. Fox News alert as we begin. Case count on COVID, 50.3 million known confirmed cases of COVID all in over the course of this pandemic in the United States. And that's a small fraction of the true number. The death toll, Americans who have died with or of COVID over these 20 months, 801,037. That's a a stunning number. The Dow is down 86 points right now, trading at 35,837. I want to begin, as I alluded to, on COVID and Omicron and just make a few points. We told you about Cornell University a couple days ago, how they were canceling all student activities because there were some cases of COVID on campus. The cases have ballooned and now they have they've decided they're going to shut down send everyone home and it's like we just keep making the same mistakes we just learn nothing if you've got a bunch of young healthy people who are infinitesimally low when it comes to their risk of a very severe case or death from covid and they're all vaccinated of course at a school like cornell they have to be It's required to be there. Many of them have booster shots. 
if you have a breakout or an outbreak of COVID in a place like that, probably the safest place for those students to be is right there on campus with their fellow young, healthy people, as opposed to putting them on buses and in planes to all fly all over the place and go back to wherever they're from to be in communities where there might be lower vaccine percentages, higher percentages of more vulnerable people in terms of age profile and other demographic and risk factors. I mean, I understand people sort of panic and say, well, we can't go on. We have this super spreader situation on campus. I just don't understand what the goal is and what the upside is of saying we're going to just shut down, in the case of Cornell, this major university and then take everyone who might have been exposed and send them home. Meanwhile, at Georgetown University, they have announced that they are going to require the booster shot for everyone. You will no longer be considered fully vaccinated unless you have three shots. Now, I don't know how that would affect. I was an adjunct professor basically there last semester. I was a fellow. I taught a class. It was virtual at the time. How would this affect me? I don't have my booster shot, not because I'm against it. I'll get my booster shot as soon as my doctor says I should. I've urged everyone to get their booster shots, not just over the air, but in person, my family, my parents. I think it's a very good idea. I have not gotten it because I had COVID. I had my breakthrough case, which kind of served as nature's booster shot. My doctor urged me not to get a booster shot because of the hybrid immunity that I now have. Would I be allowed to continue doing work at Georgetown if I had my two shots plus COVID? I don't know. The blanket policy is you're not fully vaccinated unless you have all three shots. And interestingly, in this policy, the third requirement, the booster shot requirement, even applies to telework employees, people who aren't even there. I don't understand that. But that's a decision that they've made. I find a lot of this just amazing. Should I call it amazing? And I say that as someone who is a big, big vaccine supporter, including for the boosters. Everyone's situation is a little bit different. Overall, getting your shots and getting the booster is the right thing to do. It does not protect against infection. And it looks like with Omicron as well, there are going to be many, 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 many breakthrough infections. We're already seeing that. What it does seem to be successful at is keeping people out of the hospital and from dying, which should be the whole point. It really has been all along. Preventing the little nose swab from turning up a positive line on a test, that is so much less important to the point of being like distracting, counterproductive than keeping people out of the hospital. And thank God we're seeing very few hospitalizations with Omicron and almost zero deaths from Omicron. I don't know if we have a single one confirmed caused by Omicron yet in the world. That's what we should be focusing on. I did see, this is very weird, that Twitter was planning to penalize users who make the claim that vaccinated people can spread COVID-19 except that is literally scientifically accurate. 
we know that vaccinated people can spread COVID-19 because vaccinated people have been spreading COVID-19 quite a lot and will continue to, especially with Omicron, it would seem. So here you have a big tech company deciding that they need to enforce the science by suppressing information that is, in fact, the scientifically accurate information. Like the whole reason you you guys might remember when you, uh, if you've listened to the show for a while, when I was telling you about my breakthrough case back in August over the summer, I was in Texas. I had the sniffles. That was it. The sniffles and like a little bit of a tickle in my throat with a bit of a cough. That was it. The day that I tested positive, I went for a run outside in the Texas heat. I did an hour of co-hosting outnumbered, and I did three hours of radio. The reason I got tested was because Carl Rove mentioned his business partner was like, oh, yeah, my grandson is your age. He had your exact same symptoms. Turned out it was COVID. So I got tested that day because I had an event coming up that night with a number of probably more elderly people, some of whom were almost certainly unvaccinated, and I did not want to spread COVID to them. It was the responsible thing for me to do. I'm glad I got tested. I tested positive, and I stayed away from those people and helped protect them. And I quarantined until I tested negative. I did my event virtually on Zoom. I did that. I took the test. I took those precautions because it's obviously true that vaccinated people can spread COVID-19. And yet that's being labeled now in some quarters as misinformation when it is simply information obvious information at that. And that's not an argument, by the way, against vaccination. That's what they're doing, right? They say, oh, we can't let anti-vax misinformation. It's not anti-vax. The point of the vaccine is to stay out of the hospital and not to die. And the vaccines are really, really good at that. Still, the immunity starts to wane after six months. That's why we have boosters. That's why I'm encouraging boosters. That's why I would get my own booster if I didn't have my natural booster and my hybrid immunity through my own breakthrough case. The New York Times has a writer called David Leonhardt, and I am grateful to this man because he is sensible and people on the left and politicians, some of them actually listen to him. And he's got a piece out today That is worth highlighting because meanwhile, over at The Atlantic, which is one of the sort of, uh, you know, left leaning publications, it's a prestige publication. I know some people over there. There's some smart folks there. But if you look at what's been trending on their site, here are the top five headlines at The Atlantic with a bunch of like urban progressives who read The Atlantic. And these are the people who help make a lot of the decisions and influence the politicians making these decisions. Here are the top five trending stories at The Atlantic. Number one, don't be surprised when you get Omicron. Number two, America is not ready for Omicron. Number three, the pandemic of the vaccinated is here. Number four, I'm starting to give up on post-pandemic life. Number five, the vaccine scientists spreading vaccine misinformation. So it's just like covid doom all the way down and there are some people who are like weirdly addicted to it i keep and this is where i feel like i'm losing my mind and i've said that phrase a lot over the last year and a half talking about covid here's why or at least the recent round here's why i wake up and i scroll through 
and I look at the news about COVID and about Omicron, and I consistently think to myself, oh, that's good news. Oh, I can't wait to go and tell my audience this good news about COVID. And then you see the way that it's processed, the way that public officials are talking about, including the CDC director, the media, the the graphics they put up on the screen, some of the headlines, the doom and gloom that trends that people, I guess, like have some weird addiction to. And there's just such a disconnect. I'm not saying everything is rainbow and butterflies and things are great. There are still a lot of people dying from COVID. Omicron is super contagious. Right? I'm not trying to say everything's just amazing and we're all fine. I do think overall our trajectory is good. The news about Omicron is good. We have to get back to our lives. The sentiment in this Atlantic article, I'm starting to give up on post-pandemic life. No, no, hell no. Exactly wrong. So let me read to you from David Leonhardt in the New York Times. Headline, expecting a surge. And by the way, with Omicron being extremely, extremely contagious, we'll probably see this surge a lot of places across the country. And we're seeing it in the north right now as the weather is getting colder. And it might get worse some places. Right now, hospitalizations are way down in Florida. They'll probably go up elsewhere. They've been up in places like Michigan. This is the seasonality coming into play that we were talking about, right? Ron DeSantis, the governor, saying this is what's happening, and people want to blame him because they want to play politics. Then it's not anyone else's fault when it's happening elsewhere. Omicron is a curveball because there's a new variant as well. It's not anyone's fault. It's not your fault if you get COVID. It's super, super contagious. Now, if you have a really bad case, you go to the hospital and you chose not to get vaccinated for bad reasons, that is more your fault. But the way we're sort of demonizing people like, oh, you've done something wrong if you've gotten COVID is ridiculous. All right, I promise you I'm going to read from Leonhardt. Here we go in the Times. Expecting a surge. He says, get ready for the Omicron surge. Take it seriously. But remember, the vaccines appear to provide strong protection against what matters most, severe COVID illnesses. Yes, thank you. That is what matters most. That is what the focus ought to be. He writes, the news over the past few days, both scientific studies and real-world data, has added to the evidence that Omicron is more contagious than any previous version of COVID-19. In South Africa, where Omicron was first identified, the recent rise has been steeper than during any previous surge on cases. Very different than hospitalizations or deaths. In Britain, a new case record was set yesterday. One reason that Omicron seems to spread so quickly is that it causes more cases among the vaccinated than earlier variants, although they are likely to be mild. In other words, vaccinated people can spread COVID. As we just said, it's just the obvious truth. It's the scientific fact that some people are insisting is misinformation. He also adds in this piece, and I'm glad that he did it, serious COVID illnesses remain extremely rare in children which is something that we cannot say often enough because so many people refuse to accept that reality and are harming kids needlessly and repeatedly because they refuse to accept that reality. Leonhardt goes on, the most encouraging news about Omicron is that it does not appear to cause more severe illness than earlier versions of the virus. Some evidence suggests Omicron is less severe 
He talks about a new study from Hong Kong. And then just like what the doctors in South Africa have been telling us now for weeks and weeks, it appears to be milder. In many cases, much milder. That is good. He said a crucial question is whether Omicron is more severe. So far, the answer is no. And here's the key line from the story. Just listen to this and please try to internalize this. And I hope policymakers will as well. Quote, if that continues to be true, meaning it's not more virulent, that will mean that Omicron, like early variants, present only a very small risk of serious illness to most vaccinated people. It is the kind of risk that people accept every day without reordering their lives. Not so different from the chances of hospitalization or death from the flu or a car crash. End quote. Without reordering their lives. When we have an endemic virus, that is the way we behave. And that's the way we're going to have to behave in this country. And there's a lot of people resisting that. But we're going to keep talking about it and bringing you the best information we can every single day. It's the Guy Benson Show. We are just getting started and we will be right back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Guy Benson. When I said in the last segment that I've urged my loved ones and my friends to get their booster shots, it's not just some like PR campaign that I'm lying to you. I've been trying to convince my parents to get their boosters. Had my mom on the show when she got her first vaccine. You might remember that. I had her on the air. Back for shot number one. They weren't as sure, especially my dad, about the booster, but he listens to the show. He's heard the doctors on this show and eventually decided, you know what, that's probably the right thing for me to do. The problem was they were having trouble getting it scheduled. They live in Massachusetts. There were just no time slots. They were calling back, trying all sorts of efforts on a regular basis to get it scheduled. And literally in the commercial break, just now, I checked my phone. I got a text message. Mom and I were finally able to schedule our booster shots coming up in less than two weeks. And I guess they're getting it the day before New Year's Eve because people don't want to be a little under the weather from side effects on New Year's Eve. But they're like, oh, it's fine. We're going to have a big night in anyway. And I am absolutely thrilled that they're doing this. It's the right call. So I just a little. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, insight into the Benson family. I really mean it. It's not just a show for the radio. This stuff is real. 
All right, we got a break. A lot more to get to on COVID later with the doctor. Brett Bayer up next, though, on The Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Back here on the show. Merry Christmas. Glad to have you along. GuyBensonShow.com, our website. Podcast is always free. Joining me now here in studio in D.C., the D.C. Bureau at Fox News, is Brett Bayer, chief political anchor for Fox News, anchor, of course, of Special Report every weeknight at 6 Eastern, host of the hit podcast, Brett Bayer's All-Star Panel, also a best-selling author, most recently, of To Rescue the Republic. You can follow him on social, as I do, at Brett Bayer. Great to see you, Brett. Thanks for having me. Of course. To Rescue the Republic, by the way, is a wonderful Christmas gift. I'm glad you mentioned that, Brad. Uh, how can people find that fantastic book for their loved ones at this Yuletide season? Yes, that's right. I think Amazon probably is easiest, but um, brettbear.com, you can go to the link right there. And uh, it is a great thing for history buffs. And so I'm trying to compete with all of these other Fox books. You can, Exactly. You can go and buy like a companion package where you get the serious stuff with Brad on Ulysses S. Grant. And then you can go get All-American Christmas from the Duffies. Right. Which, which I'm in. You're in, right? You, yes. have a, you have a story in there, I believe. I do. The Christmas, uh, the bear Christmas tradition. Which I'm going to ask you about actually oh, okay. coming up in a few minutes. Okay. But first, let's talk hardcore politics. It's what you do every single day. Yes. We're here in D.C. I saw you tweeted just a little <laughs> while ago. You had a little, not a run-in, but an encounter with Bernie Sanders. I did. It was hilarious. It was perfectly <laughs> on brand for him. What happened? So I was up there. Uh, we're voting on uh, the Senate Radio TV, the next head of uh, of that. And Go one Jared. Of our, Jared Halpern, yeah. And so I went over there, walked over to the Senate gallery, and while I'm walking by the Senate chamber, uh, there is Senator Sanders. And I said, Senator Sanders, good to see you. And he said, Brett, good to see you. Okay. And I said, so what's going on over here today? He's like, exactly. What is going on over here today? <laughs> and I said, so are you frustrated? He said, Brett, I'm always frustrated. <laughs> it's the truest so, thing he's ever said. Yeah, that was a brief encounter. I thought I'd just uh, document it. But uh, listen, from a progressive point of view, progressives are frustrated. They're pulling their hair out in on Capitol Hill because um, this, this is, was their nightmare. This is stalled just like a lot of them predicted it would. And they bought in to voting on the infrastructure bill. Uh, it passed. And that's let's take that as a success for the Biden administration, although they don't really get all of the success from it legislatively because they tied this other bill to it. And then they promise the progressives that we're going to get this through. Well, it's not getting through. And I don't think Joe Manchin is the only cog in the wheel. I think there are other moderate Democrats, both in the House and the Senate, who have real problems in the face of rising inflation. Yeah, there's a lot right there to unpack because I think it's true on multiple levels. Joe Manchin, and this is the dynamic that I think a lot of people and sort of the activists in the Twitter class miss. Joe Manchin is happy to be, you know, the the lightning rod out front, strike me every day, call me a right wing whatever. It helps me back home in West Virginia. The polls in West Virginia, he's doing great. Build Back Better is very unpopular in West Virginia. He's like, this all benefits me. In the meantime, he's like given some some cover to other members of his party 
who don't want any part of this, but they don't want to say it out loud right, right now. And he, because it's a 50-50, he can take the slings and arrows. It kind of works out okay. Right. And yes, of course, Maggie Hassan in New, Jer- in, uh, New Hampshire, Mark Kelly, who's up for election in Arizona, they don't want to vote on something that is not popular in the face of rising inflation. I mean, they can talk about the good things in the bill all day long, but when you put it all in there mm-hmm. and you start to add up how much it costs over 10 years, not two or three, suddenly you're looking at a five or six trillion dollar bill and we just put 1.9 and then $2 trillion in the economy. So part of my analysis yesterday, my opening monologue, because all this was sort of falling apart yesterday for real, yeah. right? And they were starting to almost admit that it was falling apart as opposed to continuing the fiction and trying to make it work behind the scenes. I thought not first of the progressives. I got to them eventually. But I was thinking the House moderates, quote unquote, the vulnerables, mm-hmm. every single one of them except for one voted for this thing in the House. It has tax increases for the middle class. It has tax breaks for millionaires. They are saddled with that vote. And what do they have to show for it? The good stuff isn't going to happen if it doesn't become law. So they marched with Pelosi off the gangplank, voted for this thing. They've got nothing to show for it. I would imagine there's probably some frustration, not just on the Bernie wing, but on the people saying, what on earth do we do this for? Right. Right. Yes, 100 percent. And, you know, they're aiming the frustration at Manchin. Um, but Manchin is saying, listen, I told you time and time again, my number was 1.75. You get under it, you figure out how to get under it. But don't give me the gimmicks. Don't give me the things going to expire next year. He was year. very transparent. And he would set it up front. He gave Schumer a letter, which right. essentially said, here's the ingredients that I need to make this, you know, stew. And um, they didn't do it. Then you've got the progressives. And I mentioned it just a moment ago, just a little interjection. This was their nightmare. The reason that they held the bipartisan infrastructure bill hostage for, what was it, months? Was because they were worried. And they said this. It's not like we're playing parlor games and we're speculating. They said it over and over again publicly. We worry that if we do the moderate bill that Republicans have bought into, at least dozens of them, they can go take all that credit. And then Manchin and Cinema say, look, we did something. And then they say, no, thank you to all this other spending that we really care about. And leadership had to figure out a way to say, no, no, we're going to make it all happen. So then they lined up and did the voting thing. And then exactly the concern is what's playing out right now. That's why you've got Bernie extra frustrated, <laughs> extra sounds frustrated. like today. He was. He definitely was. And um, Did Pelosi know- sort of blow this? Because in some ways she got the votes that she needed out of the House – But she's now exposed all of her vulnerable uh, members on these issues, and the progressives are going to be pissed off something awful moving forward. So she got a win as the self-proclaimed master legislator. Mm -hmm. But is this really a win? I don't think so, and I don't think it's going to turn out to be a win. I think who really screwed it up was Chuck Schumer repeatedly saying that they're going to do a vote before Christmas. And then suddenly you're not going to do a vote before Christmas and you're going to do uh, some appointments and ambassadors and judges and you're not going to do voting rights either because you don't have the votes either. Right. So, Which is going to make them mad again. Again. So, you know, after the first of the year, could they restart and scale back and get under the the 1.75? Yes, 100 percent they could. But then on the House side, 
again, I've talked about this, it's legislative Jenga. You pull out a piece and the thing starts tilting and you lose the progressives and suddenly you can't pass it. Although, here's the one devil's advocate that I'll play here on that. Let's say Manchin says, here's what I'll do. I'll do the child tax credit and that's it. Or like one or two other things. Build Back Better as it exists is gone, but we'll do something. Right. And then Schumer says, oh gosh, are we going to do nothing? Let's try that. So let's say they pass that out of the Senate. Goes over to the House. I could imagine AOC and that whole crew losing their mind, saying this is totally not what we agreed to. But have we seen the progressives actually stand their ground and tank something? Never. So ultimately, I think that they whine and scream and complain. If they get something that in their mind is woefully inadequate, I think they whine and scream and complain and then vote yes. That's that's my theory on them until they prove otherwise. I agree. Because their bark is loud, their bite so far is zero. You just have to sell it. You know, you have to get the votes. And it's always, all, always about the votes. So, And there's no guarantee of that in either chamber. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, Manchin is, is going to want to show his caucus that he can work on some things. And so, you know, he keeps on saying he wants the child tax credit, and that could be one of them. But... In order for him to vote yes, it has to get under that magic number for him. Let's turn inward for a moment, and we can uh, perhaps the audience can indulge us. But I want to bring this to their attention. Here at Fox News, we have closed out 2021 as the most watched cable network, not cable news network, cable network on all of cable for the sixth consecutive year. That is mind-blowing. I know we've just celebrated 25 years at Fox. It's been a privilege for me to officially work here since 2013, although I was an intern for a couple years before that. You've been here longer than I have, Brett. We talked about it during the celebration of the anniversary. As the signature political anchor of this network, we've been through a lot the last couple years. Mm -hmm. It's been a bumpy ride. It continues to be. Last week actually seemed like a year. You know, it it did. Now that you mention it. it, Well, let's keep going. We can can move on from that. Uh, But it's been a bumpy ride from time to time. And yet, when the chips are down, our viewers keep coming back and back and back to watch Fox News for their coverage, political and otherwise. It means so much to me being a small part of it. You're a bigger part of the success. I just wonder what your reflection is, because you never want to take it for granted because no. it's not automatic. It takes that earning that loyalty every single day. 100%. And we're trying to do that every day. And uh, it is great. The viewers are very loyal. And, uh, you know, I travel the country and if somebody sees me and, you know, says hello and says I watch you all the time, uh, somebody I'll be with says, wow, do you get tired of, of that happening? And I say no. Because I'm if, exactly the same way. If they stop doing that, that's a problem. We don't have a job. Yeah. So they've never stopped doing it. And I've been here almost 25 years. And uh, it, it's really, it's been quite a ride. And I think as we get into this next year, it's going to be crucial that people get balanced coverage. And they're not seeing it at other places. You can't go to other places for coverage where you come to an end of an hour and say, I get to decide what I think about that. Now, we have opinion shows that obviously do what they do, but we have news shows that really provide that ability, and I think it's going to be really, really key in 2022. And it does seem like our competition, in many cases, they spend a lot of their time and energy watching and talking about and covering us. It's amazing. 
It's really amazing. It's like, do we get? We should get some credit for those ratings, right? Exactly. Like the amount of time they spend talking about us. We should, can we like get a little cut out of that? I know. It seems know. like we could talk to Nielsen about that. Maybe. I never want to be the news. I want to cover the news, which is what you do every weeknight, six p.m. Eastern on Special Report. Okay, so last topic, far less serious, mm-hmm. and we teased it earlier with the Duffy's book, All American Christmas. You made a, a cameo, as you mentioned in there. Mm-hmm. Brett Bayer and Bayer family Christmas traditions. I know one of your traditions, and I've never have actually you read this book. I have not yet. Okay, I've, I've read bits and pieces, okay, pieces of, it. of it. I read some of uh, Steve Ducey, for example. Okay. He had a very fun story, mm-hmm. um, and we had actually we're going to have the Duffies on our Christmas special here at the nice. Guy Benson Show talking about this. Nice. One of your traditions that I have never yet witnessed is the special report Christmas party where you rap. Yes, and I know. I've seen it on video, but that could be a deep fake, right? I need to no, see no, no. it in person it's one of real. these years. I know. <laughs> Unfortunately, this year we, we decided because of the environment. Understood. That maybe the, the bar and the well, band As and long everything. as you didn't have one and didn't tell me. No, like, no, no, as long no, no. as you didn't do that. No, you're invited 100%. And, um, and we'll do it again next year. We will definitely do that. But in your household. In the household. Yeah. What do you guys do? Are there certain things that you've done all the way back to when you were just a little baby Brett? Or do you have some new traditions as a father and as a husband? How do you guys do Christmas? Well, you know, it evolves as your kids get older. And uh, it changes dramatically, actually. And uh, But in the young years, the uh, Santa traditions were unbelievable. And my family traveled uh, growing up, and we went to – my mom was a, uh, a travel agent. So we went to San Juan, Puerto Rico every Christmas. It was a tradition. Oh, wow. And uh, so I was singing, you know – Spanish uh, Feliz Navidad Feliz Navidad and I was at a Chichi Rodriguez golf course <laughs> and my best golf present was Chichi Rodriguez golf clubs when I was like seven or eight years old so uh, that became a, golf a has been a long-standing passion it has okay it has um, but I think that uh, the biggest tradition is that you know we spe- we go to church uh, usually midnight mass, and I was an altar boy for many years. And there's a thing in the that sounds about right in the book where um, where I was an altar boy, and I was going down the the front of the church, and there's a big pr- procession, and they had hoods on, which I don't recommend in how it looks, but there were hoods on, and it was just supposed to be this ceremonial thing. And I put the candle too oh, close boy. to the hood. And so the smoke got into the hood and said, altar boy went down face first. And all I remember is waking up and the priest saying, are you okay? And the entire midnight mass looking down. Just ground to a halt. Yes. His bread was face first on the church floor. But you recovered, thank goodness. I did. Fun altar boy stories. That's what you have to look forward to. No, that's just one of the things. Question about gifts. We have a few minutes left. To me, I've gotten less and less excited about receiving gifts as I've gotten older. I like giving them. I like experiences. I like being with family and that sort of thing. But an actual, you know, like opening presents and stuff, it's not something that gets me giddy, of course, like, you know, it used to when I was a kid. Although I have to say, I just heard about a Christmas gift. It's the most excited I've been about in years. My father-in-law is a Kansas grad. And he said, we've got friends. They're big donors. They've got tickets. I want to bring you guys for a weekend to come see KU basketball at Allen Fieldhouse. I am so stoked on this. That's great. I found this out hours ago, and I've been, like, planning it ever since. What is the most excited you have ever been for a Christmas gift? 
That's a great, great question. I am most excited this year because we've decided to not do things, but to do experiences. To your point. Love it. So each of us is going to come up with an experience in my family that we're all going to do together as a family. I love that. And I would ask you what they are, but no spoilers. No spoilers. We'll have to have... Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. You they might be listening Christmas. in. I know they listen in. As Amy, every day. <laughs> she loves the podcast. Yes, many people are to. saying. Many she, people are saying. A, that's yes. what people say. <laughs> Brett Baer, chief political anchor at Fox News, anchor of Special Report. See him at 6 p.m. on Fox News Channel. Pick up to rescue the republic mm-hmm. for the uh, history buff and Fox News fan in your life. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Brett Baer. Merry Christmas, Brett. Great to see you. You too. We'll be right back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. And we are back on the Guy Benson Show. Here's some good news. The Uyghur forced labor bill has finally passed. It passed the Senate unanimously. This was not a surprise because they passed it unanimously previously, but it was not aligned with the House. And you had the White House putting a lot of pressure on Congress, not in the Democratic leadership, not to actually have this align because they wanted to delay it. They wanted to slow roll it. They wanted to water it down for their various political reasons. And ultimately, Congress decided no. There was enough momentum for this and also enough shaming of not getting this done, given the genocide that's happening, that Congress basically overruled the Biden administration on a bipartisan basis. So a unanimous passage in the Senate. And a Politico reporter says Congress just did something with huge policy ramifications and forced the White House to swallow it. This was a policy driven and executed by Congress, even as the White House was trying to water it down. It cleared both chambers with zero opposition, and the administration will be required to implement it within 180 days. Biden says he's going to sign it. He has no choice. I mean, they could overrule a veto easily. He's not going to veto the anti-slavery bill, although they were trying to do it like a soft veto. It failed, and it's passed. And there was a lot of drama, way too much drama, but finally this has happened. This is excellent, excellent news. Congratulations to everyone involved. Shame on anyone who tried to put a stop to it or to block it. But they've failed. Good has prevailed, at least on this one. And a special shout out, at least for me, to Senator Marco Rubio, Florida, who really championed this thing and did so under criticism. And he and others and Liberty, for now, have won. Another hour of The Guy Benson Show is straight ahead. Stay with us. Don't go anywhere. 
Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. Brand new hour here on the Guy Benson Show. Glad you're with us. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website. The podcast is free every day. As we kick off the middle hour, let's bring you a Fox News alert. The Dow ends the day slightly down, closing down 31 to 35,896. With me now here in studio in our Washington bureau is Dr. Marty McCary, Fox News contributor. He's a surgeon, professor also of health policy at Johns Hopkins. You can follow him on social media at Marty McCary. He's author of the book, The Price We Pay. Doctor, great to have you back. Great to be with you again, Guy. All right. So there's a couple things that I want to get to with you here in this segment. One, just broadly speaking, two-part question. I'm going to read to you one of the takeaways from the New York Times, David Leonhardt, I read this earlier on the air, talking about Omicron. He said, overall, it looks much more contagious than previous variants. It's looking not more severe and quite possibly more mild. He said the vaccines are still working against severe cases, hospitalization, death. Kids are overwhelmingly safe. And he says, if all of that continues to be true, quote, it will mean that Omicron, like earlier variants, present only a very small risk of serious illness to most vaccinated people. It is the kind of risk that people accept every day without reordering their lives. Not so different from the chances of hospitalization or death from the flu or a car crash. Is that the type of messaging that needs to be front and center for the American people? Yes, that's very well put. That's the kind of context that we need. And unfortunately, this virus has a stigma like we've never seen before. It's almost like if you remember the days of HIV, it was like there's a case in the schools. And even though the scientists say the other kids can't get it, people would come up with some concocted way in which there could be a, an accident and a drop of blood could uh, splash and infect somebody else. And we, what we had was insanity. It was total insanity. And it was because it was a highly stigmatized virus. This is the same. Now we have Omicron, which appears to be the downgraded version of a major public health threat, that is COVID and non-immune people, downgraded to a rhinovirus or a respiratory syncytial virus, one of the common cold viruses that circulate season to season. That's not bad. That's not bad. Why do we say that it's going to be the dominant variant? Why do we use that term? How about we say it's going to displace a more dangerous variant, that is, it's going to displace Delta we need to change the lexicon to put it in context. So the variant is called Omicron. You are starting to – you sort of coined this <laughs> and you said people are loving it. You're calling it Omicold. Yeah. It's an Omicold. It's, it is a form of coronavirus that is causing the common cold. Now, there are four other coronaviruses that have circulated for decades that cause 25 percent of the cases of the common cold year to year. These are – Seasonal viruses, they are seasonal coronaviruses. This is now going to be the fifth seasonal coronavirus. And it is the fifth officially entering that pact as Omicron, 
And her. it acts like Omicold. Omicold. So Dr. Nicole Sapphire, we have her on here all the time. She's a friend. Some people are really mad at her today because of something she said on Fox News yesterday, basically saying this is much more mild and it's very transmissible and it's just going to spread. And maybe that's not such a bad thing. And people are saying, well, there's a lot of people who aren't vaccinated and they could be. Look, no one wants any of this. But in your view, doctor, do you believe that she, another medical doctor, has a point when she says if you're going to have something like this spreading this fast, better for it to be this where you might get a lot of natural immunity with not a ton of needless suffering and death. Yes. What Dr. Nicole Sapphire is doing is creating the notion that people do not want to accept, and that is we are dealing with a more mild virus, which doesn't have have the stigma of COVID-19. People do not want to accept that, and they want to— Well, there's this modern-day McCarthyism that if you don't take this seriously as the bubonic plague, you are the enemy— And you know what? I was out there and Dr. Sapphire was out there almost every day last year telling people, this is not the flu. We got to take it seriously. Now we've got a virus that has got the case fatality of influenza or better, and it's got going to have high circulation. It's going to be rampant. It's going to be endemic and ubiquitous. And that's Omicron, not Delta. That's Omicron. And why is that? Why is that a bad alternative? I mean, sure, I'd rather have no pathogens on planet Earth Sign me up for that model, but I'd rather have Omicron displace Delta and create and and have a less severe form. And by the way, the data now are supporting the the question: Is Omicron more mild? We now have laboratory data, which got very little coverage yesterday from the University of Hong Kong. Hong Kong, yeah, and you saw that. So they tested how well does Omicron infect lung tissue and bronchus tissue, that is lower and upper respiratory cells. It doesn't infect the lung tissue, the deep respiratory cells, very well. It it has 10% the efficiency of Delta. It's not infecting the lung tissue at anywhere near the rate. So what you have... Well, that would make sense then because there's such low hospitalization from Omicron in South Africa. They Like the doctors in South Africa have been screaming, this is mild. This laboratory data entirely validates... The public health data, the epidemiological observations, and what doctors are seeing at the bedside. And that is Omicron is clustered in the upper respiratory tract like a common cold does. Associated Press, fascinating story that Wyatt showed me earlier, one of our teammates here. He put it on my desk and I read it. Here's the headline. Omicron is dominant in wastewater samples in Florida County. So this (laughs) is where Disney World is. Orange County, Florida. Quoting, even though there have been practically no cases of clinical infection, wastewater samples show that the new Omicron variant is now the dominant strain of COVID-19 in the Florida county that is home to the nation's largest theme park. A sampling this week showed that Omicron represented almost 100 percent of the strains in the samples from the uh, wastewater facilities in Orange County down there. Now, Florida is in pretty good shape right now when it comes to hospitalizations. Here's my theory as a total layperson. It seems to me that if the people showing up still at the hospital in Florida with COVID, with a problem, that's Delta. But you have the wastewater samples at almost 100% Omicron, meaning it's it's the number one variant in Florida, or at least this area of Florida right now. That strikes me as good news because it would suggest that Omicron's been there for a while, that it has spread quite a lot. 
and it's not making a bunch of people very sick because the hospitalizations are still Delta, even though Omicron is everywhere down there. Is that correct or is that at least reasonable? I think it's an incredibly reasonable conclusion from the data that we have. Omicron is all over. It's everywhere. It's in every state. It's probably in every country. And because the CDC does selective sampling, we're not capturing a lot of cases in the official statistics, but it's dominant. And if it becomes a dominant strain in Florida, is that a bad thing? Is it bad if we have a much more mild infection? I think the Florida wastewater uh, sample study tells us a lot. And it tells us this has downgraded to one of the seasonal coronaviruses, now officially the fifth seasonal coronavirus. Which would be good news. And I sort of put that in quotes. Exactly. Nothing, nothing about this pandemic has been good, but you have to look relative to what it could be. And also, crucially, relative to the way it's being portrayed. Because I think the average person might be forgiven if they look at some of the headlines and the graphics on TV and the things that are trending on social, this is what I went off on earlier in the show, and think the sky is falling again. We're back to ground zero again. We're about to restart. You know, We're going to shut down schools. We're going to shut down sports. This is going to totally take over. There's a lot of pessimism out there. And I understand we've all been worn down, but – there are major bright, bright glimmers of hope amid the badness, and it seems like that isn't necessarily breaking through in the tone of the coverage. If somebody came in to see me in my doctor's office and I told them – and we you know, didn't have any media coverage. Somebody lived in a bubble, and I said, you know, there's something going around. You're probably going to get a common cold this season. They would say, okay, I guess there's something going around. We would not have the mass hysteria. We wouldn't have a White House press conference saying we just got a new strain of seasonal flu and there's a case in San Francisco and we're on top of it. And what what is this? What's going on? And what's happening is we are forfeiting the livelihoods of so many people as those in the oligarchy make it sound like we got this. We're on top of it. Hide. Go back into your bunker. Um, schools are going to now need a booster. The, the way we reflexively went to a booster the second a milder virus came came to this country is absolutely unscientific. It's no, there's no logic to it. Tell college students they need a booster. There will be unintended harm from this new policy. Colleges are every day now announcing their mandatory booster requirement. They will cause myocarditis in people who will get no benefit from the booster. I guarantee you the study just came out of Oxford – published in Nature Medicine, one of our top journals, showing that the rate of myocarditis from the vaccine is higher than we thought, and it's higher than you get from myocarditis from COVID itself. Dr. Marty McCarrow, we've got to leave it there for now. Fox News contributor, professor of health policy at Johns Hopkins. He's a surgeon. You can buy his book, The Price We Pay. Follow him on social at Marty McCarry. Great to see you, doctor. Thank you. Great to see you, Guy. We will step aside and be right back. It's The Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. So let's play a little game called How Many Times Can Dick Durbin Be Wrong Within a Single Quote? I wrote about this and broke it down 
with receipts, with hyperlinks at townhall.com today on the tip sheet. Durbin was talking about Build Back Better, and they're sort of processing the grief that they are in real trouble on this agenda. And he was trying to make a point to Joe Manchin, but in doing so, he was just wrong, wrong, and wrong. And I don't really think this will help his cause. Here's Durbin, Schumer's right-hand man, the senator from Illinois, cut 13. He takes the total amount of the package and cuts it in half. And now he says everything has to be paid out for 10 years. Well, you know, there comes a point where you got to say to uh, Senator Manchin, if we're paying for everything that we have scheduled, uh, we're keeping faith with the American people, we're not adding to the deficit, we're not making it worse for inflation. But for you to speculate, what, what will this cost if, if these are extended for 10 years? It's just that. It's speculation. It's not really the reality of what we're doing. Okay. So he begins there by saying, there comes a point where you have to say to Manchin, we're paying for everything that we have scheduled. That is not true. I know they like to say that. Costs zero dollars, fully paid for, not adding to the deficits. But even under their manipulated bogus score from the CBO with all the gimmicks where they gave them the numbers to come up with a zero dollar to the deficit number, they still couldn't do it. The CBO, in the Democrat-manipulated CBO score, CBO found that they are hundreds of billions of dollars short. So hundreds of billions of dollars added to deficits. So straight away, he's wrong about that. He says, we're keeping faith with the American people. No, you're not. You told the American people the bill costs zero dollars, which is a ridiculous lie. It costs $1.75 trillion and adds hundreds of billions to the deficits, even under your preferred score, which is deeply misleading. To call all of that $0 is not true. That's the opposite of keeping faith with the American people. He reiterates, we're not adding to the deficit. I mean, I will repeat, that is not true even under the CBO analysis that they jerry-rigged for themselves. And when you do the more realistic scoring, they're going to add $3 trillion to deficits over the next 10 years. $3 trillion. That's on top of all the red ink that D.C. is already responsible for. This blithely show up and say, we're not adding to the deficit. It's not true any way you slice it, but they keep saying it. What's important is Joe Manchin knows it's not true and refuses to act like it is true which is a credit to him. He says, we're not making it worse for inflation. The American people do not believe that. They just don't. You look at poll after poll in the last couple of weeks, they think that this multi-trillion dollar boondoggle, this spending orgy, will make inflation worse because that is a very reasonable expectation. Like, oh yeah, we're just going to uh, borrow $3 trillion or add $3 trillion in government spending to the debt in a time of inflation, that is not a great plan. In fact, it's a terrible plan. It's an insane plan. The American people don't want it. And you can claim, oh, no, it, uh, it won't make it worse. In fact, they say it'll make inflation better. People just don't believe that. I think they don't even believe it. They say it, but they don't believe it. And then the last point he says, well, it's just pure speculation gaming out or estimating the cost of how much all these programs would cost over the course of 10 years because they arbitrarily 
create these phony deadlines. It's not actually arbitrary. It is designed specifically to make the bill look less expensive than it actually is. It's like, oh, yeah, this thing stops after one year. This program stops after three years. We're going to take 10 years worth of tax increases, including on middle class people, and we're going to make the math work. Even then, the math fell short, as I pointed out. But when they say over and over again, we've played the montage for you here, including members of leadership, when they say we're going to make these things permanent, that requires a 10-year budget window scoring. It's not Republicans saying they might make it permanent. It's Democrats saying, oh, yes, we intend to make this permanent. Okay, great. Let's score it that way. And when you do the more honest math, it's $3 trillion added to deficits over the next decade. That's not speculation. He says it's not really the reality of what we're doing. It is precisely the reality of what you are doing and what you are saying and what you intend to do. It's your own words. We're not making this up, Senator. We're quoting you guys. He also added, not in the soundbite, that he was stunned by Senator Manchin being concerned about only having the child tax credit for one year. And Instead, insisting we have to score it for all 10 years. He was stunned. He shouldn't be stunned. Manchin has been calling out the budget gimmicks exactly like that one for months. It's like they aren't listening to him or they believe that he's not going to really follow through. And maybe one day they'll be right. But so far, so good with Manchin. He's like, here are my problems. He's like, look, here are my problems. X, Y, and Z. They're like, that's nice. Pat on the head. And then he says, well, I can't really vote for this because of these exact same problems. You're like, what? We're stunned. Why didn't you say something, Joe? He's been saying it. He's been shouting it for months. Maybe Durbin will also be stunned when Manchin says again that he doesn't want to kill the filibuster for partisan reasons, even though he's been saying that for, what, a year? Journalists asking him every day, like knocking on his door, hey, have you changed your mind yet since I asked you seven minutes ago? So that's uh, Dick Durbin making an astoundingly mendacious argument to Senator Manchin. Almost every single element of what he said there was incorrect. So we wanted to just bring a little fact check situation to all of you. And again, the good news so far is Manchin seems to understand the reality here. And he looks at what Durbin says, and in his mind he says, "Eh, pants on fire for Pinocchio's. The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back after this. Don't go anywhere. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Back on the Guy Benson Show, I'm Guy Benson. Thanks for tuning in, GuyBensonShow.com for the free podcast every day. And joining me now is the iconic Kennedy, host of Kennedy on the Fox Business Network, Monday through Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern. I'll be filling in for her next Wednesday night in New York at Kennedy Nation. You can follow her on social. Hello, darling. Oh, my dearest, Guy Benson. I am so excited to have you here. I have so many nonsense things to ask you. But before we get to the nonsense, let's do another kind of nonsense, because I cannot pass up an opportunity to ask you 
about Hillary Clinton. What happened? So she has a tweet out today that's going viral. All the libs love it. I guess there's some controversy with uh, Mark Meadows using private email accounts while he was at the White House. And an MSNBC column argued that if Hillary's email protocols were a major national story, then Meadows' emails should be as well. I think there's a difference between private accounts and a private server and wiping it clean and all of that. But look, if something was done wrong and there were violations of protocols, by all means, let's talk about it. But Hillary, of course, couldn't resist this. She tweeted this story, quote tweeted it, saying, especially since his emails were about plotting a coup d'etat while ours were about gefeltefish. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, see, it was all a giant fake scandal, total non-story. She was just emailing people on a private server about fish. And I just feel like we have to fact check her here because setting aside what you believe about the Meadows stuff, it is just a revision of history that it was just a bunch of stuff about, you know, getting, you know, her hair blown out and what's for dinner on her emails. There were thousands of emails that were classified. There were several dozens that were top secret. And for her to try again to pretend like that scandal that she made for herself that cost her dearly was really a non-story, I think is some very Clintonian gaslighting. Um, which which makes her loss even that much more delicious because it eats at her every single day. And all she does is obsess about it and try and find ways uh, to say, see, I told you so. I told you I should be president because it wasn't a big deal. And it's not about having a private email account. Mark Meadows is a total dipstick for having a private email account as the president's chief of staff. He's super dumb for doing that, uh, given everything that we know and the standards that we've agreed to adhere to or at least expect from the people who are running the country. So, yeah, he's stupid for that, but that's a completely separate issue. No one in the White House, regardless of party, should have a private email account. She didn't have a private email account. She had a private email server that she had her senior advisor, who occasionally acted as her lawyer, decide which emails would be deleted and which ones would be turned over. Right, That's permanently. the problem. Yes. And so this person was uh, not only given immunity, uh, she also had um, access and, and, and privileged conversation with Hillary Clinton and, you know, was therefore somehow, even though she may have aided in committing crimes, uh, she was given immunity so and acting as a lawyer acting as an advisor and also the person who was calling and destroying emails a very very different scenario and and completely insulting uh that and not surprising that she would try and conflate any story with her malfeasance and you know that's not even getting into yes the classification she was secretary of state she should have known better uh she had been in power or had access to power for so much of her life that she absolutely should have known better. And the fact that she's trying to downplay and minimize it is one of the massive reasons why people just don't like her. Yep, And don't trust her because they shouldn't trust her because she's not a trustworthy person. And I think in some ways, and we don't want to necessarily relitigate all of this, we're talking about like Cheryl Mills and the email stuff again, but I think it's almost letting her off the hook to say that she should have known better 
She did know better, which is why she set up the server in the first place. The whole purpose of that private server was to have control over what emails could eventually be discovered and which ones would be totally erased forever. That was the whole purpose of having it. And she got caught. And whenever there's an email story involving anyone else, she uses that opportunity to try to engage in these types of conflations. And as you say very well, Kennedy, it reminds people of her shiftiness and why folks don't trust her and how she managed to lose to Donald Trump in 2016 when everyone assumed that was not possible. One more thing on Hillary Clinton. She might have to write another book one day. What happened to after she loses another presidential election? Because have you seen these rumors that she is at least considering running again? Oh, I think it's I think it's just great. Like she's so mad that Joe Biden beat Donald Trump. So she's she's so mad about it because she's like, I could have beat him even more. I could have really beat him. I could have beat him and then beaten him again. And uh, it just it, it, it's something that will gnaw at her. And so, you know, she will have a, a blood boy and vitamin B shots and all sorts of transplantations just to be physically ready to run again. And, you know, she wants the party to beg her to do it. And, you know, it's like, I, I hope they're dumb enough to do that. I really do. Because uh, seeing her lose again will be just a delight. So please, please run. Speaking of delights, I am delighted that you invited Adam and me to your Christmas party coming up this weekend. We will be in the great state of Mississippi for the wedding of dear friends, so we cannot make it. There are a few outstanding A-plus, A-list, if you will, Christmas parties that we are missing out on. This is how much we appreciate our dear friends who are getting married. Kaylee, we're excited in advance. Jim, congratulations in advance. But the little part of me that's sad is that we won't be able to take you up on your very kind invitation. And so please, you missed my Christmas party because you were running a marathon or some nonsense. Can you please make me feel even more jealous? And can you instill me, infuse additional FOMO into this situation by telling me about how awesome this party is going to be? Uh, it's it's going to be fantastic. And, you know, it's like the menu that we're already putting together. It's like, I've got, you know, obviously Waldorf salad and the yuzu cabbage salad uh, that will be spicy and sweet, buffalo chicken nachos. Um, obviously, we're making uh, white chocolate martinis. And um, I'm going to do an apple cider. It's actually distilled apple cider. So, so you boil it down, not distilled. Uh, you reduce apple cider to apple syrup, and it takes several hours. And then you mix that with uh, whiskey and a cinnamon stick and maybe even a dash of bitters. And, and that's going to be just phenomenal. So I'm, I'm excited for people to come and imbibe. And I've already had, you know, several, uh, what do you need? What can I bring? I know there's some delightful Oregon Pinot on the way. So it's going to be uh, a nice mix of charcuterie, uh, protein, bountiful salads, and then uh, some luscious cakes and pies. You know, now I'm wondering why I just asked you to do that, because I am, in fact, more jealous. Are the Oregon Pinots a Jesse Tarloff production, perhaps? Uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping uh, that they get here in time, because um, her father, God rest his soul, knew how to uh, craft and yes, release 
beautiful Pinot Noirs from that glorious Willamette Valley soil. Meanwhile, since you have now done the FOMO thing with me, while you were sweating and miserable running or whatever you were up to out west during our Christmas party, how many visions did you have of sugar plums and drinks and long drinks, et cetera, back at the Benson Wise house? Yeah, so I did a half Ironman triathlon on Sunday. Your party was Saturday, so I was, it was. like a three-year-old. I was in bed by 7 p.m. Um, watching Michigan beat Iowa, which was kind of fun. Um, and I was like, I would love to not wake up at 3.30 in the morning and race in frigid water. And then, because the, the swim yeah, that sounds at the triathlon is so cold. And then by the time you get to the run... Four hours later, it's 88 degrees on the run. And, and I thought I was going to die. I texted my triathlon coach. And I was like, I'm dying. I'm literally dying. And she said, stop being dramatic and keep running. I mean, you chose to do this, right? It's like, I don't understand <laughs> yes, I why. why. Why do people do this to themselves? I feel really accomplished when I do a 45-minute Peloton. I'm like, Whoa, all right, that's enough for the week. And then you're out there doing hour after hour after hour of swimming and running. Are you shooting guns, too? Is there some sort of a tumbling? Is there an obstacle course? I don't even know what happens on these things. No, but if, if someone had a gun, I would have said, just shoot me. Don't kill me. Just shoot me so I can stop this race and go to the hospital and sleep. You know, it's like a, a wonderful grazing would have been a welcome respite at that point. It was such a hard race that I was asking myself, why do I do this? Why am I doing this right now? This is really dumb. Yeah, you could have you could have Jesse Smolletted this thing and be like, all right, shoot me, but not anywhere vital. And then we'll claim that it was a hate crime against a conservative. And we'll go from there. But you actually did the right thing. You followed through. You, I assume, completed this. So that would make me very proud of you. I, yeah. I still am mystified that anyone does this, but this was your goal. You set out to do it. You achieved it. So bravo. Hats off to you. Last question. I was also slightly jealous looking at some of the social media posts. Was it last weekend? You and Kat Timp and her husband, I believe Emily Campagno as well, at the Army-Navy game up at the Meadowlands. How was that? I've never been to one. I've always wanted to go. Yeah, it was, it was so much fun. And it was really nice being around people who unashamedly love this country. And um, I absolutely put myself in that category. And I don't care what people say about it. At, at my house in L.A., I've got 40 American flags in my front yard year round. And 40? Um, it was. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But just, you know, I've got just as many pride flags. So I think the neighbors are confused and I'm, I'm happy about it. Where do you put all these flags? I mean, that's. That's a lot of flags. We're talking about eighty flags. flags. I'll take a picture next time and, and show you because yeah, my my yard is properly flagged, and I know people is the have significance. And I don't care. Is the significance of forty flags because Ronald Reagan, no, our no greatest president of the modern era, was the fortieth president? Fortieth president. That's exactly why, guy. Yeah, that's 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 it. I didn't even realize it go. until now, but that is that is why. I have backfilled a reason on your behalf, and you're welcome, because, of course, Reagan was governor of California as well. It all just it all just aligns. It reminds us of another time when California was not a total dumpster fire. And just so you know, when he passed, um, you could pay respects to President Reagan um, at the Reagan Library before 
uh, he was interned, and I stood up all night. I stood on my feet all night for eight hours in order to pay respects to his uh, flag draped coffin. And I'm I'm really glad it was it was very meaningful. And um, he meant so much to me. And I'm sure there are libertarians who would completely disagree with me. I don't care. I I absolutely love Ronald Reagan, and there will never be another Ronald Reagan. And Republicans have to stop trying. I think that's fair. Yes, uh, it's it's a new era. You can appreciate Reagan for what he was and draw inspiration from not just his ideology, but his ability to communicate and his sunniness and his connection with the American people. But I tend to agree. And I'm glad that you're out there being like, hey, if libertarians are mad about it, like, go pound sand. We love Reagan here on the Guy Benson show. And we love Reagan and Kennedy together. We love Reagan being talked about by Kennedy, perhaps more than anything. Well, yeah, please, Kennedy, circle event. it has. And I want you to raise a white chocolate martini in my honor this weekend. We wish we could be there. We love you so much. We went 0 for 2 on Christmas parties this year. So let's make a New Year's resolution that in 2022, we go 2 for 2 on the Christmas parties next year. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. And I think we should have a mulligan in January uh, where you and Dreamboat yes. come to the city and we go somewhere and have a, a really nice dinner and, and toast not only ourselves, but uh, the freedom that we love so much. I think that's great. And in fact, I have a great idea that I'm going to text you as soon as we're off the air about a mulligan in, in January. And then also two for two next Christmas as well. We're just making social plans on the radio right now. That's all we're doing. We're like, hey, are you available oh, this day? This, this, segment, <laughs> this segment could go on for 10 minutes. I'm like, all right, I'll send you a few dates. With that, we actually do have to go because there are commercial breaks. It's a radio thing. I don't know if you're familiar with that, Kennedy, but we have to take them. It pays the bills and all that. Kennedy, host of Kennedy, Fox Business Network, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern. As I mentioned, I'll be filling in for her next Wednesday. She's in the big seat tonight. Kennedy, we love you. Merry Christmas. I love you, Guy. Merry Christmas to you and your whole family. I love you all. And we will be right back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. We are back. I'm Guy Benson. Glad to have you tuning in. And the time has come for Woke Tales. Woke Tales. Here's a headline from National Review. Colorado Elementary School promotes Families of Color Playground Night, where they are going to have a racially segregated playground, where white families will be excluded, white children will not be allowed to play on the playground, only families of color will have that opportunity during this segregated event. And they're doing this, of course, in the name of diversity and inclusivity and progress and equity, and all of the buzzwords. We are told, people with a straight face tell us over and over again, oh no, racialized insanity is not happening in our schools. And then they will turn around and defend segregation. We see segregated college commencement ceremonies. That's something that has been cropping up recently. This is at the elementary school level, where it's like, come one, come all, play at the playground if you have a certain skin color only. And the school has 
defended this. At first, I was wondering, could this be a misunderstanding? No, no, they are doubling down. They actually had it on the placard out front of the school. Families of color only, playground day, and then they had the date and the time. And when school officials were asked about this, they said, no, there were some parents who wanted this. They said this is just responsive to parents. I wonder how many parents didn't want this and don't like this and don't like the idea of their kids being sorted by skin color. Does anyone care about those sentiments, those feelings? I'm sure there are some woke parents who are like, this is fabulous. We love this. Let's separate our young children by race. So it's a space of inclusion or whatever, although it's really exclusion, right? They call this inclusive. It is actually, by definition, exclusive. I guess some parents who align with the left-wing ideology of the administration, of the teachers, whatever it is, those parents are good, and the other parents are potential terrorists, I believe is what they've been branded as recently by some in the Democratic Party. This is what they call progress. I think a lot of other people look at this and say, we are backsliding and teaching our kids exactly the wrong things. And you can employ whatever you want in terms of words and the lexicon of left-wingery and wokeness. When you boil it down, it's exclusive and by definition, racist. Congratulations, progressives. Final hour of The Guy Benson Show. Coming up, stay with us. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America is listening to Fox News. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. It's the happy hour on this Thursday. It's the Guy Benson Show. Thank you so much for listening. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website. GuyBensonShow.com for the free podcast every day. And this happy hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink, which is crisp and delicious year-round. We love it at the holidays, and we hear from you every day as you try it for the first time. You're like, oh, wait, he was right. It's really good. TheLongDrink.com. That's their website. You can find out where Long Drink is sold near you. You can order online. They're expanding by popular demand. TheLongDrink.com. Always drink responsibly. 21 plus only. Please. And we are joined now by Larry Kudlow, host of Fox Business Network's Kudlow. At 4 p.m. Eastern, he's also former director of the National Economic Council under President Trump. And today we did a fun little TV radio exchange program, which we love with Larry. It's good to have you back. Merry Christmas, Larry. And to you, Guy. Happy, holy, merry, everything. I want to start with this. You have been just flogging away at this mantra now for weeks. You say every single show on FBN, save America, kill the bill, talking about build back better. Well, you might have gotten your Christmas wish here based on a lot of the reporting yesterday and today. I had a big analysis earlier at townhall.com 
We addressed it on the show a bit here yesterday. Do you think the bill is dead? Do you think it's sort of on life support? What's your read on the state or the status of BBB? Well, there will be no BBB uh, this year. They're not going to get it done. I don't know. Schumer's dates are out the window. It's not going to happen. There will be vote. There, there won't even be a procedural vote. Nothing. Nada. So it's going to be paused into next year. They'll probably get to it sometime in February, guy, or try to. But to tell you the truth, uh, given the inflation numbers, given the CBO scorecard, you know, it's really a $5 trillion bill with a $3 trillion deficit. And the more people learn what's in this bill, I really think uh, we are going to beat the bill. Uh, The longer it goes on, the better off uh, we're going to be to kill the bill. And I'm, you know, I take the Christmas present. When I started this <laughs> mantra three or four months ago, I don't know. I thought it was a long shot. But lo and behold, lo and behold, and I got to give A-plus credit to Joe Manchin, Democrat Joe Manchin, who was warned about spending and inflation and Federal Reserve money creation mm-hmm. and myriad problems inside the bill, et cetera, et cetera. He's been a great leader. And he's been talking about budget gimmicks, right, saying, well, you can't really do all these gimmicks because I see what you're doing here. And then they put in all the gimmicks, and he was like, well, no, this is exactly what I've been talking about. And they're all acting like they're shocked that he actually meant, apparently, the things that he said. I'm seeing rumors that what they might try to do is resurrect this thing sometime in the new year, as you mentioned. Although, again, I'm not sure if he and Cinema and others are going to want to, like, peel off that scab. They might just say, you know what, we've we've been through all of this. We had all the pressure. Let's not go back to this. But if they did, one of the things that I've heard is it would be hugely, I mean, drastically pared down to the point where maybe they would just do the child tax credit, maybe one or two other things. It would barely resemble the huge Build Back Better project that the Democrats had in mind. Even that, I hope we don't get to that point, but even that would be a win compared to what we thought might happen. And, of course, then they'd have a huge problem on the left, although the left usually falls in line. They'll yell and they'll scream, but they fall in line if it means more taxing and more spending and more programs. But it really does seem, Larry, like the best case scenario for the Democrats right now is a bill that does not resemble really anything close to what they've been proposing. And that's just a maybe several months from now in the middle of an election year. That's not a bad spot for fiscal conservatives to be, all things considered. Well, I'll say two things on that. One, one of my favorite American heroes, Ulysses S. Grant, told Robert E. Lee, unconditional surrender. Unconditional surrender. So that's where I'm going with this. I don't want any of it. In fact, uh, I will also quote uh, a recent American hero, hero, my friend Elon Musk, who said, we don't need any of it. (laughs) we don't need any of it. And that's where we're going on this. Um, They can try to pare down and this and that. By the way, the child tax credits you mentioned, which have a score of uh, $1.6 trillion, okay, which obviously was a gimmick into one year, but over 10 years it'd be $1.6 trillion. But, Guy, remember, once you start looking at that child tax credit, it first of all has no work requirement and second of all um 
what was my second point? No work requirement. Oh, and I know. And at least half of the recipients of that child tax credit will see a huge increase in cost, uh, perhaps as much as twelve or thirteen thousand dollars per year. That's in child care. Number of That's for the child care tax credit. So no workfare, which will rule out any mansion support, and also. Um, as I say, almost half of the recipients will see a huge cost increase. And, of course, the government's, you know, not so hidden motive here is to replace families with government, just like they want to replace parents and teach and education with government. And I don't think this is going to be very popular. And you've got issues in there, Guy, uh, welfare for illegal immigrants, Amnesty, uh, you've got this uh, $450,000 uh, per family, you know, pa- family separation. I'm sorry about family separation, but they are illegals and they don't uh, really deserve any money under our system. We can have immigration reform. I'm all for that, but not this way. So in other words, I don't think I don't think the Democrats are going to get away with some partial small thing. I don't think so at all. In fact, what I'd like to see is a continuous Continuing resolution, a CR. That means all spending goes back to Trump's last budget. That's what we need. No more spending. The GOP will fight it. Manson will fight it. Cinema will fight it. By the by, there are others who are going to fight it, too. They haven't come out of the woodwork yet. Uh, but people like uh, Maggie Hassan up in New Hampshire, uh, the closer you get to election... And this and they bill start getting is so worried. unpopular, it's going to be very hard to get through. And the other big win, right now, uh, this business about changing the filibuster in order to have this nationalized election reform, that is dead in the water also. Dead in the water. So yeah, Cinema said very, no way. Very, I think Manchin's going to say no way. And then they'll have another tantrum. And I don't know what comes next. But for now, this is a better place than I expected us to be in. At the end of 2021, given the Democrats had full control of everything in Washington, D.C., and now we are less than a year away potentially from having an election to take a lot and claw a lot of that power back away from them. In the meantime, you were talking about public opinion, Larry. I know you saw this yesterday, the new Fox business poll when they asked Americans how they're feeling about the president and his policies. Here's how FoxBusiness.com writes it up. Quote, a new Fox business poll finds that when it comes to rising prices, twice as many think the Biden administration's actions are hurting rather than helping. In addition, by a 25-point margin, voters believe President Biden's proposed social spending plan would push inflation higher, and by six points, they think it would hurt the economy. And you look at two-thirds of respondents in this poll saying they have felt the pain of inflation. Those data points right there, Larry, are not outliers. They're right in line with what we're seeing elsewhere. And that's precisely the type of thing that Manchin, I think, has allowed to stiffen his backbone because he's an outlier, as I said on TV the other day with Brett Baer. He's an outlier among Senate Democrats, but within the country, among the American people, specifically West Virginians, he is absolutely mainstream on point. Yeah, you know. Uh, Manson's polling in, in West Virginia is now up to over 70% approval. And I'll tell you what else. Uh, 
Kirsten Sinem is polling in Arizona, uh, which is really a swing state, uh, unlike West Virginia. Her polling is up to around 65%. So, you know, the public, you can't fool the public. As the facts continue to dribble out, we learn more what's inside this social spending monstrosity. And as the inflation rate continues to increase, uh, quite contrary to what uh, Biden and uh, Yellen uh, and even the Federal Reserve argued, inflation is getting worse. Government spending is one of the root causes. The second root cause is the Federal Reserve's money creation, which is enabling the government spending. Uh, the more debt they buy, the more money they create, the more inflation we create. By the way, the Fed did nothing yesterday. They did nothing. They have no backbone whatsoever to uh, take uh, strong steps to stop the inflation surge. Anyway, my point is nobody in their right mind believes that a $5 trillion spending plan is going to hold down inflation. And inflation is public enemy number one. And it's going to be public enemy one next year, Guy. That's the key point. There will be no change in the inflation trajectory. And if anything, it may actually get worse. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen. And even modest gains or modest improvement would still be pretty painful for a lot of people and even the Biden administration seems to be admitting some of their top folks saying, yeah, this is going to be with us well into 2022. Larry, last question. Put on your hat here for a second. When you were director of the National Economic Council at the Trump White House, if you were taking a look at the new numbers on retail sales in November and some of the holiday shopping, it's looking like those numbers are pretty soft. They didn't meet expectations. What would that tell you? What would your takeaway be if you were at the White House right now looking at these stats? Well, actually, I got to tell you that retail sales are actually very strong. I know uh, it looked a little soft, uh, three-tenths of one percent. Those numbers will be revised later. You're running 18 percent year-on-year gain in retail sales. I mean, look, the economy right now... Well, that's because things were closed last year, right? Well, yeah, okay, but you've been hitting double-digit numbers for months and months this year. That's true. Uh, I mean, there's a, this is, guy. this is an inflationary boom. That's what we have. Um, you see it in the jobs are strong, unemployment is low, weekly unemployment claims, consumer spending, businesses... Uh, are getting ahead of uh, the threat of tax hikes, so businesses are making capital investment in their equipment and so forth. You know, right now the economy is strong. You're going to have eight, nine, or ten percent growth in the fourth quarter when those numbers finally come in. But, 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 you're also going to get six, seven, or eight percent inflation. And so this is not sustainable. This is simply not sustainable. And this is another reason why what we need from the government is restraint. What the government wants is stimulus. And, you know, average yeah, build back better. Five trillion dollars. That's the opposite of restraint. Right. I mean, we, we need restraint from Uncle Sam. We need restraint from the Federal Reserve. We're not getting it. And that's why the Republicans are going to win a landslide next year. And that's why Joe Biden is essentially the most unpopular president we've seen in I don't know how many decades, maybe going back to Jimmy Carter, maybe worse than Jimmy Carter. Actually, Jimmy Carter was much more conservative than Joe Biden. But my point is, all this stuff, you know, woke, taxing, spending, open borders, all of this is coming home to backfire. 
uh, crime, uh, defunding police. I mean, when you see the mayor of San Francisco, who is a big supporter of defunding police in the middle of 2020, and she comes out and starts talking about refunding the police and supporting the police to stop crime, you know something big has changed. Yeah, mugged by reality, as they say. Yeah, mugged by reality. That's exactly right. And uh, the Biden White House will take the blame. And they're not smart enough to switch gears. That's the amazing thing. With all these things crashing around them, and we haven't even talked foreign policy, but all these economic things crashing around, they still won't change their policies. So fine. Let them. It helps the ratings of my show, probably helps your ratings, and it's going to help the GOP absolutely wallop them uh, come next year. Well, that's your prediction. It's going to be a Republican landslide, you say, in November of 2022. Today, we started with a Christmas present, come early, about Build Back Better stalling. Maybe 11 months from now, Larry, we'll have you back, and we can be doing a little Thanksgiving special, giving thanks for what happened on Election Day. We shall see. Larry. (laughs) Thank you, Guy. Oh, you're welcome. I hope you're right. Larry Kudlow on The Guy Benson Show. Our happy hour continues right after this short break. The Guy Benson Show. More next. We Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Are back here on the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour on Friday Eve, which is what we call Thursday here. And this is an interesting story from Kraft Philadelphia Cream Cheese. Apparently, and I have seen this on Twitter, there's a cream cheese shortage, which is causing people to freak out. Bagel lovers, for example, in New York City and elsewhere. But I guess there's this shortage with supply chain stuff. And because that is real and it's affecting their company, the Kraft Heinz Company has run a new ad. It's a campaign encouraging people to ditch cheesecake for this Christmas season and the whole Philadelphia cream cheese brand just for now due to the shortages in favor of another holiday dessert. And there's sort of a twist on this. Here's the ad, cut one. This is not an empty shelf. It's a holiday tradition waiting another year because having a hard time finding cream cheese on shelves means having a hard time putting cheesecakes on tables. And we get that. So let's do this. This year, turn that famous cheesecake into those famous brownies. End your meal with a friendly fight over the last holiday cupcake. Share some cookies. Anything that'll make you feel anything in that cheesecake-shaped hole in your holiday heart. Seriously, you bake it, we'll buy it. Or get it store-bought, pretend you baked it, and we'll buy that too. Because this year, if you can't spread Philly, spread the feeling. Spread the feeling, okay. Now, I never knew that cheesecake was a major Christmas tradition. It's not for me. I like cheesecake, but I'm not going to be clamoring for it. It's so weird to hear an ad from a company basically asking you, please do not try to buy this product of ours, right? You never hear that. But because of these shortages, that's what they've resorted to. And so the company is going to extend a $20 digital reward to people on Friday, December 17th. It's not everyone, but they're going to offer it across the country tomorrow, the 17th, Saturday, the 18th. Customers have to visit the Philadelphia campaign website, which is spreadthefeeling.com at noon tomorrow and Saturday. And I guess they will help you pay 
for other products in their repertoire. And you can have a very sweet Christmas with a little bit of subsidizing from the company if you're not going for cream cheese and cheesecake. All right, just a public service announcement to all you sweet tooths out there. I'm not really one of you. I don't hate dessert. I'm not against it. But uh, apparently this is a very big deal in the dessert-crazed community. One friend of mine in particular, I think, is taking copious notes right now. Just want to put that out there. Spreadthefeeling.com. And the Guy Benson Show at GuyBensonShow.com continues right after this. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. It's the happy hour here on the Guy Benson Show. Earlier today, Brett Bayer, anchor of Special Reports, swung by the studio. A lot to talk about as usual, especially up against some of these Christmas time deadlines on Capitol Hill. Here's a part of my conversation with Brett Bayer. Let's talk hardcore politics. It's what you do every single day. Yes. We're here in D.C. I saw you tweeted just a little <laughs> while ago. You had a little, not a run-in, but an encounter with Bernie Sanders. I did. It was hilarious. It was perfectly on brand for him. What happened? So I was up there. Uh, we're voting on uh, the Senate radio TV, the next head of uh, of that. And Go one Jared. Of our, Jared Halpern, yeah. And so I went over there, walked over to the Senate gallery, and while I'm walking by the Senate chamber, uh, there is Senator Sanders. And I said, Senator Sanders, good to see you. And he said, Brett, good to see you. Okay. And I said, so what's going on over here today? He's like, exactly. What is going on over here today? And I said, so are you frustrated? He said, Brett, I'm always frustrated. <laughs> it's the truest so, thing he's ever said. Yeah, that was a brief encounter. I thought I'd just uh, document it. But uh, listen, from a progressive point of view, progressives are frustrated. They're pulling their hair out in on Capitol Hill because um, this, this is, was their nightmare. This is stalled just like a lot of them predicted it would. And they bought in to voting on the infrastructure bill. Uh, it passed. And that's let's take that as a success for the Biden administration, although they don't really get all of the success from it legislatively because they tied this other bill to it. And then they promise the progressives that we're going to get this through. Well, it's not getting through. And I don't think Joe Manchin is the only cog in the wheel. I think there are other moderate Democrats, both in the House and the Senate, who have real problems in the face of rising inflation. Yeah, there's a lot right there to unpack because I think it's true on multiple levels. Joe Manchin, and this is the dynamic that I think a lot of people and sort of the activists in the Twitter class miss. Joe Manchin is happy to be, you know, the the lightning rod out front. Strike me every day. Call me a right wing whatever. It helps me back home in West Virginia. The polls in West Virginia, he's doing great. Build Back Better is very unpopular in West Virginia. He's like, this all benefits me. In the meantime, he's like given some some cover to other members of his party who don't want any part of this, but they don't want to say it out loud right, right now. And he, because it's a 50-50, he can take the slings and arrows. It kind of works out okay. Right. And yes, of course, Maggie Hassan in, New, Jer- in uh, New Hampshire, Mark Kelly, who's up for election in Arizona – they don't want to vote on something that is not popular in the face of rising inflation. I mean, they can talk about the good things in the bill all day long, but when you put it all in there mm-hmm. and you start to add up how much it costs over 10 years, not two or three, suddenly you're looking at a five or $6 trillion bill 
and we just put 1.9 and then $2 trillion in the economy. So part of my analysis yesterday, my opening monologue, because all this was sort of falling apart yesterday for real, right? And they were starting to almost admit that it was falling apart as opposed to continuing the fiction and trying to make it work behind the scenes. I thought not first of the progressives. I got to them eventually. But I was thinking the House moderates, quote unquote, the vulnerables, Mm -hmm. every single one of them except for one voted for this thing in the House. It has tax increases for the middle class. It has tax breaks for millionaires. They are saddled with that vote. And what do they have to show for it? The good stuff isn't going to happen if it doesn't become law. That full interview with Brett Bayer, our colleague, available online, GuyBensonShow.com. Also, of course, part of the full podcast, on demand, free, every day. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, the home stretch. Oh, a real estate update from producer Christine. I don't even know what it is. You'll find out here first, next. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show on this Thursday. Thank you for tuning in. GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast free every day, including on the weekends. Bonus Benson. I'll be off tomorrow back here next week. I'll be up in New York doing the show, plus a lot of TV duties. We will bring you all of those details next week. In the meantime, it's time for a cookie house update. We've been following this very closely. The trials and travails of producer Christine debating whether or not to go through with this plan to put her house on the market than she did. Then there was an open house. It went well, but they didn't get offers and they did get offers. But then she was having second thoughts about the entire thing and was thinking about taking it off the market. But then she wasn't so sure. We gave some advice yesterday here on the show. And I will say when the show was over, I was driving home. I called my parents and they'd been listening. And my dad said that His big takeaway from these conversations was that Bobby is a very patient person and Bobby being Christine's husband. I cannot argue with that. He's like, it's sort of all over the place with her thoughts. And he also is a big fan of Megan, the eight-year-old daughter, who even Christine admits is more mature than she, the mother, is. And I mean, there's basically no disputing that. So here's where we stand now. I got... A heads up from Christine earlier that there is an update on this front. I don't know what it is. Often we talk about these things in the planning meeting today. We had a slightly different schedule, so our planning meeting was quick. So I have no idea what she's going to say. I mean, there's a chance that the house is off the market. There's a chance they've accepted the offer that I thought was a pretty darn good offer that we talked about yesterday. Maybe new offers have come in. Maybe they're going to do another open house. Maybe they'll do a drop dead date. Bring us your offers by this date, your best final offer, and we're going to pick from among them. There are various possibilities here. And I'm sort of on the edge of my seat to find out what she has done. And the only guess that I have is that she did not take my advice because she never does and then later regrets it. All right, let's see. Christine, what do you have for us? Oh, hi there. Uh, First, so... I want to go around the around the horn. I want to hear from Dan, you, and Wyatt. What do you think I did? All right, Dan, what do you think? I think she pulled it off the market based on her body language and what she's saying and how she's looking at me right now. I think so. Wyatt? 
See, I can't see Christine right now, but I just knowing her for as long as I have, I'm going to say that she may have followed Guy's advice and she has accepted an offer. Wow. Okay. So totally opposite predictions here. I generally expect Christine to listen to my advice, say, wow, that's really good, smart, sound advice, and then do exactly the opposite. But my advice yesterday was two-pronged. My advice was either this is not actually a plan that you think makes sense for your family anymore, which was part of my initial contention, in which case pull it off the market and don't look back. But if you are still committed to the plan, then this is a really good offer and you should take it. Above asking, they went even up further to the number that Christine and Bobby wanted, waiving contingencies, strong financing. So I did not actually give an either or. I said, you've got to choose a fork in the road here, choose a path. And so I hedged my bets a little bit. My guess is going to be, and I'm second guessing myself already. I'm just going to say it. I think that they've accepted the offer. I'm going to agree with Wyatt. Christine, what happened? Dan, drum roll, please. How long is this going to go? All right. We have accepted the offer. Wow. <laughs> hey. I know. I know. Can you believe it? Is that you it? clapping for yourself? Oh, no, Dan. That that was. Oh, that was Dan. Okay, good. See, Dan is I... nice to me as opposed to you and Wyatt. Well, he has to see you every day in New York. All right, Wyatt and I are down here in D.C. There's like a nice three-hour train ride separating us from you. Yes, we have accepted the offer. So uh, next thing we need to do is go into attorney review. And apparently the couple that is buying our home, it was her birthday today. And she, she had said through our realtors that this was her one wish. Was this was her? She wanted this to be her home. So I feel like everything is happening for a reason. We're still a while's away. You know how this can go. Yes, things can. Although fall with, through. with the contingencies being waived, like you know that it's not going to be a financing issue, and then they had the home inspection contingency gone. Right? They waived that one. What was the other contingency that they waived? Oh, the appraisal. I mean, those are often sort of the the thorny, tricky, potential snags. And if those are waived, I'm not going to say it's done and over, but you are sitting pretty golden right now if you've got a signed, accepted deal and two of the biggest potential pitfalls just totally paved over. I think sounds like this is happening. That's a pretty big deal. What is the timeline now, Christine, on I know we're getting slightly ahead of ourselves, but on a closing date, yes, on the move, do you now have an apartment or is Cookie potentially homeless at the moment? I did call the apartment complex and they have plenty of apartments. I'm going with Bobby on Saturday morning to kind of pick out which one we possibly can get. Um, are there a few different floor plans yes, that yeah, are available? There, there are a couple different floor plans that I need to see. And they, the people that are moving in, they would like a closing at the end of January. So we would have to. Is that reasonable? Is that doable for you guys? I don't know. Uh, 
we'll make it. We'll make it work. You just sort of plow through the holidays, and then are you going to get movers? I cannot recommend that strongly enough, getting movers. So the thing is, we really didn't remember. We don't want to bring anything. We That's wanted true, so like a clean slate of just like brand new furniture. Not You know what I'm saying? Like the apartment has a totally different aesthetic than my home. So um, my real estate agent is going to speak to the other agent to see well, if they want First wanna... of all, she's going to no longer potentially kill you because it sounded like if you were going to pull the house off the market, she was going to be a very unhappy kid. We, we were not communicating very well yesterday, her and I. Uh, she was seemingly getting frustrated with me. I was getting frustrated with her. Bobby had to step in and kind of end our communication and he took over. And once he kind of took over, everything seemed to see, work here's out. here's my take on this. This has been such a success, right? And... The decision was made to accept the offer. I have to say, and I mentioned yesterday, I'm sort of an unofficial, unlicensed, uncompensated therapist. Many people are saying, many people, Christine, are saying that I am responsible for this decision and for all of this success happening. So I'm not saying that I need, you know, the full real estate agent cut of whatever the final deal is, but I think, you know, maybe half a percentage. You know, or maybe 1%. I oh. think that that would be reasonable given the fact that I was able to bring healing between you and your real estate agent and bringing this woman her birthday wish. I mean, you're welcome. I feel like that is something where I am entitled. In fact, I have earned a cut of this. And I think many people, and I'm now, you know, looking at social media, many people are saying very powerfully, very strongly that I deserve something. Many are saying. Mm hmm. So what I was thinking is I definitely probably will offer an invite to you for the new place. I know you, we've never invited you to the old place. So, you know, we'll, we'll work towards that. That's my reward. Yes. Oh, and I'll cook for you. And hopefully the cream cheese shortage won't be happening. And I'll make you a cheese. Can cheesecake. you cook? I don't even I we've never even talked about this. Can you cook? I know Bobby can cook. Can I cook? Whew. Okay, then there. The that's your answer. Say no more. We have our answer. If I come over, we're going out to dinner. We can bestow that role upon a professional. Or Bobby can cook. That also would be fine. Although, I don't know. Are you going to be able to do all the grilling and the hibachi and all the stuff? Well, yes, because living? there is plenty of grills outside. They have all – remember, this is like a luxury apartment. They have all these different areas outside where they – these huge Weber grills that you can go to. I can't wait to show you the pictures of that place. It's amazing. So two more questions. Number one, has Megan updated her percentage like the Nate Silver needle – on the likelihood of you moving, is she back up above 95% after this development? She thinks it's going to happen. She she does. She didn't give me a percentage last night, but she uh, is now looking because she gets okay. her own bathroom now. So she is uh, trying to figure out what color hand towels she wants, pink or wow, purple. That is a very specific piece of planning that she's already engaged in here. And then... Most importantly, are you and Bobby, after pulling the trigger and everyone holding their breath and you finally taking my advice for once, are you feeling good about this or is your mind reeling with doubt and second guessing? No, I actually feel 
much calmer. I mean, yesterday, Dan, you were here. I was a basket case. She seems so calm right now. That's why I thought she pulled the offer out or pulled out because I, I think that she's acting very calm about this. And I was very surprised. Mm. It's a very zen cookie, which is not – I don't even know what to do with that. Zen and cookie aren't a thing. She could be at a spa with that harp music playing and all the lights down and candles, and she would be worrying about the candles lighting her robe on fire, right? And she'd be on edge. That's how cookie tends to be. So zen cookie, after a huge decision like this, that is a rarity, but perhaps it suggests – that the right decision has been made because peace has come upon producer Christine. I think that I'm just happy we have something final for now. And I want to enjoy the holidays. And I didn't want this lingering. I just want to and, and celebrate now. You know, with, we're going to go see our family, hopefully. Although, know. are you going to be, are you going to cry? I mean, it's your last Christmas in the house. It's your last I- everything in the house. All the memories all the memories are just being, I don't know, handed off to some strangers. Are you going yeah, to be very, I, very emotional? I mean, listen, I, I don't really cry much. It's just not I, – I freak out. I, you know, Right, tears hysterical. of panic, not tears of sadness. Yeah, I just – I don't really – yeah, no, I'm not like that. I don't really cry. Plus, um, you could always take your, you know, your motorcycle and zoom down Eyesore Lane from time to time. You know we have a motorcycle, right? Wait, do you actually – Yes, Bobby has a Harley. I did not know that. Another layer of the cookie onion has been now removed or partially revealed. We'll have to explore that more another time. Christine on a motorcycle. Good Lord. Careful motorists everywhere. Well, the important thing, though, today, Christine, is, in all seriousness, congratulations. This is a huge deal. As I said, many people are saying that I'm responsible for it, and we can negotiate off-air how much I get in terms of a percentage here of of making all of this happen. But you actually took my advice for once, so I hope this actually pans out to reinforce that. But this is very exciting for you. I know it was a stressful decision, and I think, really, that you've made a good call here. Well, thank you very much. Let's just hope this all keeps going in the right direction. Well, congratulations. Happy birthday to the new would-be owner. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. Tomorrow is Friday. Back here on The Guy Benson Show. Harry Hurley will be sitting in for me. I'll be back here in the chair Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday next week, including a couple days from New York. I'll give you those details, as I mentioned, on the TV side in due course. In the meantime, have a great night. We will talk to you very soon. It's The Guy Benson Show. Listen to be part of the conversation with me, Brian Kilmeade. I'll talk about the biggest stories of the day and get your take along with some of the biggest newsmakers around. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.